you'll join with me, today's scripture reading is from Acts 2, 1 through 13. In our Pew Bibles, this is on page 909. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Regen. Nice to have you all this morning. Thank you, Stephanie, for reading that. You didn't flinch when I gave you that, uh, that passage, so with all those words, thank you. For, now I know how to pronounce some of those words. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, my name is Brent Liu, and I'm one of the um, elders here at Regen, so thank you very much for being here. I'm excited to be here. Last Sunday, Justin brought us the message of peace, and Romans 12:18 reads, if it is possible, as far as it depends on me or you, live at peace with everyone. Now, this is a verse that I definitely continue to wrestle with. I mean, as far as it depends on me, you know, sometimes I have a, just a tough enough time getting to work, you know, and, and I've got to be dependable. You know, now I'm directed to bring peace into my relationships, into my workplace, um, and even to the grocery store where the person in front of me has 20 items in the 15 item or less checkout line. And at that moment, I'm very thankful for the person who created like the self-check area. Maybe use that too. Um, and from the Sermon on the Mount, it says in Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And as children of God, he promises help in times of trouble and blesses us by providing that help. Making peace in this sometimes chaotic world is not up to us alone, but we do have a part to play. You know, I'll never leave you and forsake you, says the Lord in Deuteronomy. And yes, the body of Christ are the hands and feet of Jesus to bring order to an otherwise chaotic world. And we do that here on earth with the help of the Holy Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit. So please pray with me. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for bringing us to this place. We thank you for um, creating it here for us. Uh, we thank you for getting us up this morning, getting us dressed, bringing us here. We thank you, God, that for those who are unable to be with us today, maybe they're traveling or maybe they're ill at home, we pray for a special blessing of healing on those of our uh, fellowship and those of others that we know who are sick. We ask God uh, that you watch over those and be with those who are online worshiping with us today. And God, we ask, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, uh, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. In your son's name we pray, amen.
<laughs> Guess it's time to quit. Okay. Um, last Sunday um, was marked on the big church calendar, so the big C for church calendar, as a Pentecost Sunday, or the day of Pentecost, signaling about 50 days uh, since Easter, since the day the Christian church recognizes as the coming of the Holy Spirit. For all believers, that was read for us in that uh, Acts chapter 2. So as we Christians anticipate the arrival of the baby Jesus during Advent, leading up to Christmas, and then we prepare for uh, during Lent to remember Christ's death on the cross for Easter, Pentecost is the day that we celebrate and give thanks to God for his promised support of the Holy Spirit for continuing ministry now that Jesus has ascended into heaven and until he comes again. So Acts 2 tells us all the disciples were in the same room and when entered the Holy Spirit. Now this abrupt and unexpected sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind filled the house. Usually you feel a wind coming and you see it blowing through the leaves and hearing is usually something I think that comes last in the sequence. In this case, there was no feeling or no hearing, um, just the wind. And then next came the tongues of fire that they say came and just settled onto each one of the disciples. I like the Bible uses the word resting. I kind of think of that, that flame you know, there's, there's some mystery there, right? I think about that flame similar to the, the burning, Moses' burning bush flame and how it didn't consume the bush, but it was just there. And so the color red is associated with Pentecost. So today for you all, just a little visual reminder, I have this red around the, uh, the front of the lectern. Now there were two groups of people immediately affected by the coming of the Holy Spirit here. Uh, my Bible reads that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this being the disciples and the Galileans were speaking. Now, this implies also that there was already a common language that other people already knew that was being spoken by everybody was there. And then, of course, this other group, uh, as Stephanie read for us, is this uh, group of Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, these devout people were a group of people who were obviously, they were, excuse me, not from Jerusalem. They spoke a language of their home region, and so they would recognize their language and in this case, we're surprised to hear their familiar speech coming from people not of their region, in this case, the Galilean disciples. Um, at the very least, this was a language experience, was an unexpected surprise for those Jews from other places, and um, so unsettling, like Luke, you know, uh, details, like who was there, um, where were they from, and where these languages were used. I thought that was great. So what do we have here described for us? We have the hearing of the sound like a rushing wind, uh, we have the seeing about the tongues of fire settling. Uh, we have the, uh, the disciples speaking in languages that they would have not otherwise known. And then, of course, you have these Jews from other places who are, who are hearing something very familiar to them. Now, some of those who witnessed God's direct action on their lives, which I would per se would be a miracle, were amazed and perplexed, you know, surprised and speechless. However, there were others in that same group who put forth, I'd say, a pretty worldly, human-centered explanation that the disciples who were speaking in the foreign languages were basically just drunk. Well, that's not a bad guess. I mean, I guess we're, we're trying to, they're trying to make sense of something they don't understand, and they're thinking, okay, uh, maybe alcohol could have had something to do with it, you know, something you could widely share with people, and then boom, you get near simultaneous effects. Well, unfortunately, I think for those who thought this was display of language proficiency was just a work of fermentation, I think they missed the divine. I think they missed the miracle. You know, their eyes were not up, not looking for something new, but instead their head was down and without expectation that God could do something unique, something life-changing. And I'm thinking sometimes maybe it was these same devout Jews who missed the coming of Jesus for the first time around. Luke doesn't record what the disciples said, but only the reaction of those who heard it. You know, and maybe if, uh, when I get to heaven, if I get a chance, I'll ask God, well, what'd they say? Or maybe, maybe it won't matter. 
But um, in the meantime, let's consider the, the, the timing of that, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think there's, there's order for God. There's no, there's no waste here. So weeks earlier, Jesus had commanded the disciples to go make disciples of, of all nations in the Great Commission that we find at the end of the book of Matthew. Now, in God's timing, you've got the arrival of the Holy Spirit at the same moment and at the same location where gathered our Jews from every nation under heaven. When those Jews return home, I think this message of the gospel gets kind of a kickstart to the ends of the known world. So Peter's defense begins with a practical explanation, kind of a superficial one, um, that we can dismiss pretty offhanded. He says, well, no, they're not drunk. It's too early. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, the third hour of the day. Peter goes on to describe um, what the prophet of Joel says, and you can, you can read for that. Um, but I want to just make emphasis on uh, in chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And then that's when things start happening. You know, the, for those of you who are number people, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. You know, Acts chapter 1 states that there's about 120 believers and then by the time we get to the end of uh, chapter 2 and verse 41, it reads, And those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number in that day. So, you know, how did we get from 150 to 3,000? Well, we'll get there in a second. But um, before all this happened, there was a little groundwork being done with the disciples. Uh, the Bible tells us that the disciples had witnessed the ascension of Jesus and to expect a power to help them because there was a big task at hand. In Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, we read, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The disciples were also given hints that when Jesus left, they would not be left alone. He spoke of the Holy Spirit before his departure that we read in John chapter 14, verses 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And Jesus actually goes on to name the advocate later on in that chapter, verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And as far as what to do with that power from the Holy Spirit, again, the, the, um, the Great Commission in uh, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I think the, also, the, the disciples were also at that time um, also focused on filling the spot that Judas had left. And the Bible tells us they had two good choices. And I like this because this, in, this situation gives inference that there was mentoring going on, that there was maybe some intentional focused training going on, not just with one person, but with two people. And I suspect the person who wasn't chosen was going to have another role in the ministry somewhere. So the two men were Joseph and Matthias, and these men had probably distinguished themselves as being considered for more responsibilities. Now this next part always gives me kind of pause to wonder, and pause to think about the connection between the spirituality of God and the physical nature of God, you know, how God is in the details. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 24 to 25, it reads, And they prayed and said, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these two thou hast chosen to take the place in the ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. That prayer was right in line with what we find when Samuel is choosing uh, the then shepherd boy David to be the king of Israel. 
in the latter part of 1 Samuel 16:7, we read, For the Lord sees not as the man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The disciples didn't know who to choose, and they had faith that God was going to intervene, and he could see what they couldn't see. And that's the part I love, like, in this next verse, Acts 1.25. It says, and they cast lots for them. And they cast lots for them. They played a game. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the 11 apostles. They prayed, and then they basically rolled the equivalent of dice, and then Matthias was the winner. No committees, no vote, prayer and the faith would, that God would intervene into their physical world through these tumbling objects, you know, in this familiar game of chance was the process to choose the next disciple. Now, returning to these devout Jews who met in Jerusalem, you know, Peter stated his case as to the coming of the Holy Spirit, and these men who heard this message were cut to the heart and asked Peter, well, what do we do now? Well, the answer comes to us in verse 38, and it is, repent, be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The new followers of Jesus must have been pretty excited, probably as excited as some of you all when you first became Christians, because it says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. You know, however, life keeps going on for these Christians, right? They had similar probably things like us to maintain, like their livelihood. Maybe they had a job, they had to go work for somebody. Maybe they were a small business owner. Uh, they had to keep the customers happy. You know, maybe they were a farmer. You know, they needed to plant their crops, harvest them, um, you know, milk the cows, pick up the chicken eggs, those kind of things. Maybe there were children to care for. Uh, or maybe they had aging parents they had to look out for. And I don't expect there was a lot of leisure time. At least I don't read that in the Bible. Now, of course, they didn't live under the threat of, like, the, uh, the Internet going down or power outages or the grim reality that there is going to be no more sriracha sauce. I know, huh? But there was probably concern for one's health. You know, could they work? They probably sent up a lot of prayers uh, to make sure that there was a lot, enough rain uh, to, to ward off any food insecurity. And aside from these physical needs of clothing, food, and shelter, there was now the spiritual need to grow mature in faith. You know, the disciples had their hands full, I think. They had, I think they had this spiritual equivalent of a one-room schoolhouse. You know, they had very new converts, and they themselves were probably only about, you know, three years into it, the three years that they spent with Jesus. I suspect there were a lot of hows and whys. Um, but I think the one thing they all had going for them, you know, they had their Jewish heritage and their upbringing. So the uh, last part of Acts 2 gives us a description of how growing in Christ began and how people were gaining maturity. First, those present received the word of God and then were baptized. These people made a choice to choose God based on what they heard. Then they committed themselves to the teaching and gathering together and the sharing of meals. There was a spiritual hunger for learning. There was the feeding of the souls through the teaching of the disciples. There was the support and encouragement of gathering with other believers. Being an early adopter and sometimes going against the grain can be sometimes difficult. But how much more encouraging can it be when you're with a gathering of people to bring hope and optimism into a situation and then to add food. You know, doesn't get any better than that. So, and then next was the witnessing of the many signs and wonders through the apostles. You know, this is the power of the name of Jesus that was on full display for these new Christians. You know, the disciples were there to show them that, you know, this Jesus who they committed their lives to was the real deal. I like verse 44 because it states they had all things in common. They shared what they had. And if they didn't have something, now the Bible doesn't tell us what they didn't have, but if they didn't have something, then they got the money to buy what was needed by selling their possessions. And then with that money, you know, gave that money to who needed it. 
To me, this statement you know, speaks uh, not only of their generosity, but also of their transparency and their vulnerability that the group knew what was going on with each other. You know, there were some in their midst who just weren't going to have enough money to get to the end of the month. But yet, the people who had the money were able to share that with them. Um, you know, verse 46 goes on to say, They were gathered for worship together. They ate together with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and having favor with all people. Now, I want to pause on this part about all people, because this all people, to me, refers to the people that were in the general vicinity of where this group was meeting. You know, we've already talked about the disciples. We've talked about these Jews from every nation. Now we've got this other group they put in, um, all people. Who had, and I suspect they were not yet heard the full story about Jesus, repented or baptized, but somehow they had come to know that something different was going on around them and were positively disposed to it. So this new teaching, I think, was having a positive impact on the community at large. These new people were interested and becoming committed because by the end of verse 47, Luke tells us that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So all this teaching, listening, and learning, all this meeting together for worship, fellowship, and meals was building their present church. You know, they were knowingly or unknowingly laying the foundation for the future church. Do you ever consider yourself something bigger than what you can see? You know, that you're part of something for the future. We, right now, are like those believers, here building on, what's, on something that's gone on before us and preparing for the future, preparing for that next generation through the teaching, fellowship, and maybe a few meals. You know, I'm very thankful for the men and women who provided resources to build this church. You know, to build this church for what they needed at the time, and then build this church for the future, for people like me, who they would never meet. You know, the people of this church were, uh, who came before us, you know, paid it forward to make an investment in the future, to create something for people who'd not yet come. So I'm very thankful for them, that they stepped out in faith on our behalf. So where does that leave us? Well, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, just like we sung about earlier. You know, everyone here today, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, are represented in these passages. You might have been newly introduced to Jesus and are just coming to see what, what's going on. Or maybe you're a lifer, you know, born into a Christian home, uh, grew up in the church. Or maybe this morning, you were just passing by the doors, and you heard our music, and you came up the steps. Well, welcome. For those of you who are new, I'm not the regular guy. The regular guy is Pastor Albert. Come back next week and hear him or uh, find his messages online on our website. So the new believer's behavior was pretty countercultural. I think meeting together, about, learn about Jesus, this Messiah, this carpenter from Galilee, um, who was the son of God, crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again. Kind of what we're doing is countercultural. You know, here we are meeting together on a Sunday morning. You've made this a priority. You know, you're not sleeping in, you're not walking your dogs, uh, you're not going over to uh, Donut Savant, shameless product plug right there. Um, you know, you're not riding your bike up in the hills. You're not doing your laundry. Um, these are just activities that I saw as I was coming here. And yet, you know, we have the same competing priorities as those new converts had. You know, we, we got to make a living, you know, maintaining, you know, our expanding social connections. We have familial obligations, and we need to satisfy basic, you know, the food, clothing, and shelter thing. Um, and then also in that mix are my own strengths and weaknesses, my shortcomings, forgetfulness sometimes. And uh, we're supposed to go out and make disciples of all nations too. Well, yes, we are. So I have a friend at work, and um, she just personifies the glory of the Lord all the time. 
Monday morning, doesn't matter. Friday afternoon, same way. Saturday when we're there, and sometimes we have to work on Sundays too. And I've witnessed people come up to her and say, you know, why are you so happy? Well, she's ready for it. I mean, she's got it locked and loaded, ready to go. And she's not happy, because happy would be circumstance. You know, and it's not circumstantial for her. You know, she's happy and she's joyful. Why? She's joyful to tell you about what God has done in her life and what God has done in your life. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, I wish I could be like that. But anyway, when I talk, sometimes I share with her, you know, things aren't going as well as I would like them to go, and then I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. So she pauses, she sits there, and I know she's going to pray for me, but she sits there and she listens. And then she gets this big smile on her face, because you can see it, you can see it in her eyes, right? Because all we see is this much of ourselves, right? Yeah. And you can see it in her eyes, she smiles eye to, ear to ear, eye to eye, and she says, isn't it great to be like the people in the Bible? And of course I have to smile because it is, initially it's not. It's a little uncomfortable. But if you think about it, the promises and faithfulness that we read in the Bible is the same promise and faithfulness that is for us as well. I also imagine like for the, those new Christians, you know, they had the full range of emotions going on with their circumstance. You know, um, for a group that size, there was probably some people who were just totally amped up to be with the group. You know, everything's going well. They got enough food. Their health is great. You know, their kids are doing well in school. And then I bet you there were some other people who were not doing so great. You know, it was all they could do to get to the fellowship of believers. Maybe their crops weren't doing so well. Maybe they're underproducing. Um, maybe they were not very healthy. You know, you had to work for a living, and that was hard. And it was all they could do to get to the group. And they couldn't wait to get to that message of hope hope for the gospel. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, it talks about our sufferings. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, or hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I like this verse because it speaks of a we, not of a me, not of an I, but a we. You know, from Christ's model of reaching out to people, it's our calling to emulate the life of Christ to come alongside a hurting sister or brother. I mean, when someone shares a difficulty with me, I feel honored that I'm worthy enough to help carry that burden. Yeah, this past Friday, I just had a, a chat with a woman that I know at, at work as well, and um, she'd been off for a while, and I hadn't seen her, and it's like, okay, hey, so where have you been? How have you been? Um, well, fortunately, she was um, out with an injury and had just come back to work. While she was out on her injury, anticipating surgery, her medical benefits got canceled. So in order to get those reinstated, she had to come back to work and has to work for 30 days. So that's kind of where we are. We're in day seven right now. And I've known this woman probably close to about 20 some odd years. So, um, and then she shared with me, she goes, yeah, and I was at the ATM a couple days ago. I said, really, how'd that? She goes, well, I was at the ATM, put my card in, punched in the amount of money that I wanted, and then my card came out and my request was rejected. She stepped to the side, and a woman came up behind her, got some money out, and my friend was convinced that, you know, that the money that went to the other lady might have been actually hers. So she's made an inquiry with the bank, which is going to take about 90 days to resolve. And if that weren't enough, um, she was also shared with me that she had a recent experience with her debit card and was going to make a purchase. And when she went to make the purchase, you know, the debit card, it said, you know, insufficient funds. So she wasn't able to make this purchase. And 
I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm standing there listening to this, like, okay, I'm waiting for it to get better, right? I'm waiting for it to get better. Um, and I, do, I will follow up with her when I, come see, when I see her, probably Monday or Tuesday. But, um, you know, she said, it was not about, like, why, it was nothing all about, you know, God, why is this happening to me? It was very, it was solidly, it was very solid in regards, you know, what is God teaching me? You know, what is God teaching me now? You know, what is God teaching me now? Or what, maybe what is God teaching me for the future? I mean, and, and that's, that's just a crazy place to be. You know, that's just a credit to her faithfulness. And I think just to me, an example of the, of the Holy Spirit in her life. Saturday night, I sent her the, uh, the Romans 5 verse, and then she launched back like three other verses toward me. So it, it was really good. Some of you last month, maybe were here for our baby dedication. I pray you were here for that. And I thought some of you might have thought, okay, I can hold babies. Or I can teach, you know, Sunday school lessons. You know, that'd be great. For those of you, probably thought, mm, I'm not a baby holder. But can you hold someone else's confidence? Can you hold someone's confidence if they share a struggle that's going on with them? You know, we need both of those people. We need people who can hold babies, and we, can, we need people um, who can hold other people's confidence and pray for them. Uh, if you don't feel like you have a word of encouragement, that's all right. The Spirit will give you the words to say. Or maybe not. Or maybe you just use your two ears to listen. Now, I'm totally violating this, what I think, but I think God gives us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mathematically, I think he wants us to listen twice as much as we speak. So, you know, can you lend an ear? You know, can you lend an ear to someone who just needs to talk? And I think you can. I believe you can. Um, I think also the Holy Spirit, you know, nudges us in a way, you know, to look for help. Nudges us in a way to extend help, but also to receive help. And we have that help for you, too. You know, um, during our, at the end of communion, during that next worship set, we'll have people down in front who would love to pray for you. So please come down and pray for them. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit also is inspiring you to pray for this church or the Church, church Universal. We could use it. You know, we can also all be extensions of the deacons. You know, we can be the hands and feet of, the, um, of Jesus. Uh, we can all do pastoral care you know, extending love and comfort and encouragement to those around us. And I'm very thankful for those of you who are already doing that. You know, you're doing that behind the scenes. You're doing that without anybody else knowing, except for the person who's receiving your care. And, you know, I think if everyone does a little bit, a lot gets done, right? Because many hands make light work. You know, the Holy Spirit gives us energy to have one foot in the Bible and one foot in the culture and supports us as we bring the biblical truths of God's love to people in this world. You know, the following the Bible is our distinction, you know, it's pretty countercultural that our hero, Jesus, the model of our lives, the one we pledge allegiance to, died on a cross. He died on a cross for you and me so that we might live and not be punished for our sins. Recently, I was asked, you know, why Regen? Like, why do I, you know, come to Regen? I said, well, I think, you know, we come here because the word of God is taught here. The whole Bible is taught here. You know, the words that land well, the words that land hard. So, Will you pick up that challenge, you know, to preach the gospel to all nations, you know, to be a care to someone else? Um, I hope you do, and we're not there to do it alone. The Holy Spirit is here. So what do we bring? What do we bring to caring people? Well, it's like going, you know, we bring the fruit of the Spirit. We bring the fruit of the Spirit, like it says in Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And we also bring the peace that John speaks about in chapter 14. All this I have spoken unto you, 
but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. My peace I give to you, my peace I bring to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And one more verse about peace in chapter 16, verses 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in this world that you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You know, you bring your story to what God did through Jesus Christ to you, how it changed your life forever. You are not today who you were before God changed you. Share your story. Don't worry about knowing all the scripture verses or about teaching the Bible someone. You know, just share your story. And of course, you can always bring this verse, one of my favorites, first one I learned, you know, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but to have everlasting life. I think prayerfully God will speak through your story to people and they will decide to accept Christ's free gift of eternal life with him as their story. Pentecost has arrived. God has sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, as he's promised. The Holy Spirit is the help we need. We have the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations. We have the helper in the Holy Spirit with us right now. We have the needs of our neighbors, our neighbors both near and far. So what's left? Well, what's left is thy will be done. God's will be done. You know, again, you know, am I going to choose what I want to do? Or am I going to choose what I know God wants me to do? As my friend would say, isn't it great to be like the people in the Bible? You know, I pray that your desires for God's will be done. And I'd appreciate it if, you could, if we could all pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. So if we could pray that together. The Lord's Prayer saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you could, please, we're going to move into a time of communion. So if you need our communion elements, by all means, please raise your hand and Stephanie, we can bring those to you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take out the little wafer. Let's take it together. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for those of us who are online. We thank you for those of us who will be viewing this sermon later this week. Ask. Thank you, God, for the many blessings that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.